Appreciate that good singing. I thought, I thought, Brother Tim, you was going to be singing off the rounded off bolt blues. Amen. He called me yesterday. He's working on the car and uh, was trying to, he, he had a bolt that had got rounded off. I thought he was going to get up and sing the rounded off bolt blues. If you've ever had one, you, you're singing them too. Amen. All right. Open in your Bibles, John chapter 21. John chapter 21 tonight. Are you excited to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. I hope that you are. Trust that you are. Anybody battling sinus stuff? Raise your hand if you are. It, uh, I feel like I've got a softball rolling around in my head. Amen. When I move to this side, it rolls over and smacks that side of my head. When I roll over this way, it rolls this way and smacks that side of my head. Amen. So if I just try to stay perfectly still and look ahead, I ain't in trouble or nervous or guilty. Amen. I'm just trying to survive. John chapter number 21. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. We're going to read quite a bit of Scripture tonight, but uh, Lord's help, we're going to use all of it as we walk our way through this passage. John, <coughs> excuse me, chapter 21, verse number 1. The Word of God says, After these things Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed He Himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. For the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Peter, Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. The other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and die. None of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed Himself to His disciples after that He was risen from the dead. So when they had died, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. When he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, 
What shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. What a blessing to be in your house. Lord, we, we, we really shouldn't be here tonight if we had what we deserve. We'd be in hell tonight. Uh, certainly, the, the shape we is in when you found us, Lord, no, none of us deserve to be in the house of God. But God, you and your grace have saved us. You've sanctified us. Lord, you've set us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And you've situated us in the, in the church of the living God. And I just pray, Lord, uh, that as we come to this place tonight, we would come with the reverence, with the, with the heart that is open to your word like we ought to. Lord, that we would be humble before you tonight as we seek your wisdom and your word and your will in our lives. Bless this time we have together. Father, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we spent a little time in Luke chapter number 22. And the focus of our preaching was on how Simon Peter went from pledging to the Lord his undying devotion and loyalty to just six hours later sitting beside a fire and cursing the Lord Jesus Christ. We considered this thought this morning, the road to ruin. Let me remind you again, I'll just say it again. If you wasn't here, you'll, you'll at least hear it once today. It could be any of us. Amen. Uh, there ain't nothing about us. We're, we're all cut from the same cloth. We're all made out of the same material. We look at Peter and say, boy, what a mess Peter made a thing. But I'll tell you this, it could be us just as easily. We could wind up in a mess just like Peter did. And so we spent some time examining how Peter uh, wound up so broken and so disobedient and so out of the will of God and so devastated by his sin. You know, I'm reminded of a story I heard one time that someone told about D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist, who was said that he was having uh, the uh, famous Bible conference up there in Chicago that they'd have every year. And they had a man that came and he was supposed to preach uh, one night of the meeting and then preach the next night in a, a series of nights and he got up and he preached one night and he preached about the crucifixion. And when he came to the close of the message, he had not come to the other side of, of Calvary, he had not come to the empty tomb. And he, he stopped there and I guess he was trying to be sensational. He said, uh, now as we close tonight, the Lord Jesus uh, has died and He has been placed in a tomb. And he said, I want you to come back tomorrow night and hear the rest of the story. And uh, after the service, uh, Dwight L. Moody came to him and he said, I'm sorry, brother. I said, I'm not trying to be rude, uh, but you'll not be needed tomorrow night. And the fellow was a little bit astonished. And he said, what do you mean I, I won't be needed? And I'm sorry, Dr. Moody, did I do something? He said, listen, he said, don't take it personal, but I ain't going to have nobody in that leaves Jesus in the tomb. Amen. I'm not going to let anybody preach that leaves Jesus dead and in the tomb. You ought to go on and finish the rest of the story. Well, this morning, I, I didn't leave Jesus in the tomb, but I, I guess I did leave Peter in the ditch. And so I want to take a few moments tonight. We preached on the road to ruin this morning. And I want us to think for just a few moments about the road to restoration. I'm glad to report to you that Peter didn't stay in that shape. He got his life right and he went on. Uh, if you were to fast forward a little more, you'd find him standing like a pillar on the day of Pentecost. Uh, with the fire of God in his soul, preaching uh, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but he didn't go from there in the fire by the garden to the fiery tongues in Acts chapter 2 just instantly. Rather, there was a way, a path by which Peter traveled and the Lord set him back in a place of fellowship and relationship with him. I'm glad to know there's a way back tonight. Now, you may not be anybody that ever goes off the tracks, and so it may not mean anything to you, 
Uh, but if you mess up the way I mess up, you're glad that there's a way back. If you never wander, it may not matter to you that there's a way back. But if you're somebody that sometimes gets rebellious and wanders on the Lord, you better be thankful there's a way back. How did Peter get his life back in the right shape? Well, it would appear there was probably some secret conversations the Lord and Peter had that the Holy Ghost didn't draw the veil back on for you and me. It certainly there was a meeting that the Lord had personally with Peter uh, in Galilee and uh, and probably uh, much of the business was settled in that conversation. Undoubtedly, Peter uh, made confession to the Lord of what he had done and some things were set back in a right condition. But it seems like when we come to John chapter 21, if I can say it this way, it seems like he's on the front porch, but it still don't seem like he's back in the house. It seems like he's in the neighborhood of things being right. And undoubtedly, he had got some things settled. But it, it seems like there's still sort of a distance between him and the Lord at the opening of this chapter. But when we come to the close of this chapter, we find him in deep personal conversation with the Lord. So how did Peter get back in the right condition. Well, I want you to just walk the, this this road with me. Let's just look at these few things this evening. I would tell you how many there are, but it'd scare you, so we'll just find out together as we move through it. Look with me at verse number 1. The Bible says this, After these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed He Himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus. Now, I'm going to pause there, and I don't know why I'm about to say what I'm about to say, but I believe the Lord wants me to. You know what that name Didymus means? It means a twin. It's suggested that the reason they called Thomas this is because he looked so much like Jesus that when men saw him together with Jesus, they mistook them for brothers and even twins because he looked that much like him. Can I say tonight, God's people ought to be Didymus. Well, it looks so much like Jesus that people can't tell the difference between us and between Him. And that's not to say we shouldn't make a difference. not to say we shouldn't point to him and say, no, listen, like John did, I, I, I'm not he uh, that, you know, I'm not he that should come. Uh, you need to look for another. He cometh after me and I'm not worthy uh, to unloose the latchet of his shoes. But it ought to be the world. It looks at God's people. It says, boy, they look so much like Jesus, it's hard to tell the difference between the two of us. I don't know who that was for, but the, the Lord did. Thank Him. It came by His mail. Amen. And the Bible says, and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. And the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. You see, this whole story begins because Peter says, I'm on fishing, boys. We've been awful hard on Peter for this. And I'm not going to say that maybe is not warranted. I can't reach into Peter's heart, pull out his motives. I have often said, and you no doubt have heard lots of preachers say this, that Peter was walking away from the Lord and he was giving up on the life of a disciple. And he was saying, I'm, I'm going back to that life of being a fisherman. I'm done with this thing of following Jesus. And let me say that, that very well may have been what he was doing. But I give you a maybe a little bit different perspective tonight. And I, I think there's an application of this, whether or not it was Peter's motives. I think there's still a truth here to be seen. You remember the very first place that the Lord Jesus found Peter? He found him by the seashore and he was fishing. Uh, let me say it this way tonight. You say, preacher, how do we get back when we've messed up? Number one, go to the place of finding. So what do you mean, preacher? I mean the place where the Lord found you. Now I'm not talking about physically going to a geographic location. 
But I'm talking about the heart's condition and the mindset and the spirit and attitude that you first approached the Lord Jesus with. And you came like a broken sinner and you were a broken sinner. And you came and you weren't trying to come and bargain with Him and barter with Him. And you weren't coming to negotiate with Him. But you came just helpless and hopeless and in need of a Savior. And you came and said, Lord, there ain't nothing good about me. There ain't nothing worth anything about me. But I know you love me because you told me you did. So I'm coming and I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm asking you to save me. That's how you came to God. You say, preacher, how do I get right? You come to God with that same attitude and spirit. I'm not saying you've got to come and ask Him to re-save you because when He saves a man, He saves him eternally. But I am saying that oftentimes, you know what we do? Uh, we try to stand upon the history of our spirituality when we've messed up and come to God. We don't want to humble ourselves completely. We don't want to admit that, hey, after all, we're just a rotten sinner still. We still want to keep up this pretense as though we're really something and we're really somebody. Uh, we want to keep those negotiation terms high. Man, it's been funny to watch these teachers unions negotiate uh, about opening these schools back. There's a lot of things I want to say. And maybe a few of them I ought to say, but I'm going to let the Lord bridle my tongue tonight. Uh, but it's been interesting to see these negotiations happening. Man, no telling how many millions and billions of dollars are flooding into people's private bank accounts and things like that. All these different hoops that have to be jumped through. You know, sometimes we want to treat God like a like a union rep in a negotiation. We want to come to Him and we want to maintain standing with Him. And we don't want to come to Him as humble as we know that we ought to. We don't want to come and just admit we messed up. Nobody made us mess up. Uh, nobody uh, tricked us into messing up. Nobody coerced us into messing up. You know why you got in sin? Same reason I do it. Because we want to. And it just do us good. The first step is we have to come to God and be honest about who and what we are. And we have to come back. We have to come to Him the way we did when He first saved us. I'm not saying we need to ask Him to save us and forgive us. I'm saying that same spirit and attitude we have when we came to God. I'll tell you how you came to God if you got saved. Uh, and you say, preacher, how do you know this? Because this is how you have to come to God to get saved. You came to Him and just laid your helpless everything right in front of Him and said, Lord, help me. Save me. I can't do it. I can't fix it. I can't change it. I'm done trying. God, do for me what I can't do for myself. You may not say it in those words, but you sure enough said it in that spirit and heart because those are the terms by which God demands that we come to. Not coming to Him boasting in, in, in self. Not coming to Him bargaining with, with certain skills and talents and abilities that we have. But just come to Him in our brokenness and say, Lord, I need help. We're awful hard on Peter here, but could it be he went back to the fishing boat because he knew that's where God could find him. That was where God had found him in the first place. Could it be he went back or he went to that place of finding? Let me notice the second thing tonight. The Bible says in verse number 4, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, By the way, let me just say this. Sometimes when you're messed up, He can be standing right on the seashore and you not even know it's Him. When you're messed up, I'm talking about when you got sin in your life or, or when you're sulking, wallowing in self-pity and these things. I'm saying He can be standing right beside you and you be blind to that fact. You say, how is that, preacher? Well, I mean, He can be protecting you. He can be blessing you. He can be doing things in your life. He can be He can be opening doors for you or, 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 or flattening mountains for you and doing things in your life and you not even be aware of it because your mind is on you and not on Him. That's how we can be when we're messed up like Peter was when we're broken. They, they were there and, and the Lord's on the shore and they don't even know it. 
Bible says in verse 5, Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. I'm going to say it this way. We need to go back to the place of finding. But number two, we have to go back to the place of faith. You remember the first time a miracle like this happened in the Word of God? It's in Luke chapter number 5. Let me read it to you. The Bible says in verse number 4 of Luke chapter 5, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, that's that same Simon Peter, you know, Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There's many things we could emphasize about that passage. But you know what I see vividly there? I see Simon's faith. He uses that phrase. He says, we've toiled all night, we've caught nothing. Any reasonable... I mean, our, our opportunity, our window of opportunity has passed. He is a seasoned fisherman. He's a commercial fisherman. He don't do this because he just loves to, to fish. He feeds his family this way. He knows the opportunity is over. All reason and logic would suggest that they can't catch no fish. But here's what he does. He says, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. You know what that was? That was an act of faith. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I could define faith real simply, I'd define it this way. Believe in God's word and acting appropriately according to it. Faith is to say, God, I believe you are and are going to do what you uh, said you are and said you're going to do. Lord, I just, I believe you're telling me the truth, so I'm going to live my life in, in, in appropriate fashion to the truth that you're telling me. That's what faith is. Uh, one other commentator defined it this way. It's the effectual dependence upon the Word of God. And we find that in play in Luke chapter number five. Peter says, all logic would say there's no fish. But if you tell me there's fish, Lord, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when he pulled it up, it was full of fishes. And now we have this echoing of this same miracle. On this night, could it be that the Lord was maybe trying to remind Peter that it takes faith to walk with God? I'm going to make a real basic statement here. If you're going to get right with God, you're going to have to learn to trust Him. (coughs) You know why some people don't get right with God? They ask God to forgive them, but then they can never believe that God's done it. You know that God doesn't forgive you because you're really, 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 really sorry for your sins. That's not why He forgives you. There's lots of people that are really, 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 really sorry for their sins. They never have their sins forgiven because they don't ever go to God and ask for their sins to be forgiven. God is is not impressed with your contrition. But your, boy, this is going to be a mouthful to say, your contrition is a condition of coming to God. But you know why God forgives you? He forgives you out of the abundance of His grace. He doesn't forgive you for what you are. He forgives you because of who He Yes. That's why He forgives you. Nothing you could do could deserve forgiveness. But you come to God in faith and you say, Lord, I, I believe that if I approach you the way you asked me to, that you'll forgive me of my sins. You're going to have to believe. You're going to have to trust God. Some people walk around, man, and they got that guilt uh, tethered around their neck and hanging down their back and they are slowed down and weighed down with it the rest of their life. 
Has it ever dawned on you that there's some people that are carrying around redundant burdens? They're carrying a burden that God's already carried. They're holding something that God's already took off of them. You're going to get right, you're going to have to trust God. You're going to have to believe God. You're going to have to believe He can put you in the right condition. And when you ask Him for forgiveness, you're going to have to believe that He forgives you. You don't always feel forgiven when you get forgiven. You say, preacher, how do you know that? You remember being a child uh, and doing something wrong against your, your daddy or your mama and coming to them and asking them for forgiveness and, and they say, well, that's alright, son. You just you go on and you walk away and you still felt like a dog. Sometimes you'll ask for forgiveness. Some of y'all ain't got no conscience. That's why you didn't know what I was talking about when I said that. Some of y'all said, nope. I always felt fine about it. Well, that's between you and God. But sometimes you go and you ask God for forgiveness. You'll walk away. You won't feel no better. Because the exercise of faith has not taken place in your heart. That doesn't mean God has not forgiven you. He has forgiven you. But you've got to trust that He has done what he said he would do. Don't we say this to lost people all the time? When lost people come and ask God for forgiveness, and we'll say to them, I, I, I mean, I don't know if you do it, but I do it. I'll take them to John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, uh, has passed unto death, unto life, shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death unto life. And I'll say, it doesn't say will pass, it says you have passed. From death unto life. And I'll, I'll tell people, listen, I don't know how you feel right now, but if you meant business with God, God meant business with you. And if you'll trust Him, He, by His promise, He has forgiven you of your sins. But why do we lose sight of that then as Christians? And we allow ourselves to live under this cloud dwelling over us all the time over something that we've already brought to God and we've already asked God to deal with. I'm saying it takes faith if we're going to be restored. He had to go back to the place of faith. Look at verse 7 with me. The Bible says, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship. They were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. Isn't it interesting what Peter does here? Now, I'm in agreement with most commentators when the Bible says, that he was naked, it doesn't mean he was stark naked, but rather what it means is that he was not wearing an exterior or an outer, uh, we might call it a uh, an outdoor cloak. And, and that's evidenced by the fact that what he puts on is a fisherman's cloak. In other words, he was wearing just sort of casual clothes. We might say it this way, he wasn't wearing clothes fit to swim in, and uh, he could have froze to death, and he grabs that fisher's coat and throws it on him. I, I've heard people say, and, and maybe even myself been somewhat convinced of it in the past, that that Peter was trying to take his own life whenever he did this. I, I've sort of backed up on that idea for this reason. Uh, usually somebody that don't want to swim to shore don't wind up swimming to shore. Amen. So I think he probably was, was trying to get to Jesus. And I would say it this way. We have to return back to that place of following. If Peter, <coughs> excuse me, is trying to get back to shore, he is so anxious to do so that he's not going to wait till other people get to Jesus for him to get to Jesus. He's going to get to Jesus as quick as he can. You know, some of us, you know why we don't ever get everything settled? You know why we don't get it right? We're waiting on the boat to pull up to shore. But other people are the ones holding the oars. In other words, we could say it this way. We're saying to ourselves, well, when everything works out just right, I'll get things right with God. Well, you know, when my wife gets things right, I'll get right. I was going to say something ugly, but I ain't going to say it. Well, when my husband gets right, I'll get right. 
Well, you know, when, when everything gets a certain way in my life. No, go ahead and jump out of the boat and swim to it. If he's that important to you. You ain't got to wait for anyone else. You ain't got to wait for anything else. I've said this all the time, and I and it's not something I would ever try to manufacture because we just ought not try to manufacture something that God has to manifest. But, uh, you know, I, I love that people use an altar, even throughout a service. Man, it don't bother me. It don't bother me. Preacher be up preaching. If somebody's genuine, if they're sincere, and God's got a hold of their heart for them to, to, to go on down that aisle and find a place, I'll be up preaching. i just step over you. It won't bother me. And it always blesses me to see people do it. You know why? They weren't waiting for the boat to pull in. They just went ahead and jumped on out and swam to Jesus. And I'm saying this, if you want to get right, you can't be waiting on everybody else to get right before you get right. And by the way, can I just say this? Uh, they might be waiting on you to get right. And that's why the boat ain't never going to pull into the shore. Uh, you're waiting on them and they're waiting on you. What we need is somebody just jump out of the boat and say, i got to get to him. i got to get to him. I gotta get to him. I, I say this, we gotta have a priority of getting things right with him before we're gonna get things right with him. It's gotta be more important to us than anything. It's amazing to me. Peter was willing to get wet to get to Jesus, but a lot of Baptists aren't. A lot of people, I, I'm convinced if it had been snowing, Peter would have just went ahead and jumped on out and went in. I'm convinced maybe if he had been a little bit under the weather, he would have probably jumped out and swam on in. I'd say this, maybe if some people ridiculed him, he would probably just jumped on out of the boat and swam in. I think a man that would do what Peter did here is a man convinced that he desperately needs fellowship with the Lord Jesus above all other things. And you know what I found? Those are the kind of men that get right. Hey, we can criticize him all we want, but he wound up getting right. We can criticize him all day long, but he wound up getting right. And you know why? Because he didn't wait for everybody to row the boat towards shore. He just said, I gotta get to him. I gotta follow him. I gotta be in his presence. I gotta be with him. So I, I see it was a place of following. Look at verse nine with me. The Bible says this, as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, bring of the fish which ye have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Wonder why it was the net wasn't broken. I'll tell you why I believe the net wasn't broken. First time that this miracle happened, Peter was fishing for himself. But this time he's pulling the net up to give it to Jesus. And you see, when you're giving it to Jesus, the net don't break. When you're doing it for yourself, what happens when the net breaks? All the fish swim out. You know what you'll find? If you live for self, that net will break and all them fish will swim away. But if you'll, if you'll give it to Jesus, you'll find out the net will hold. You'll make Him the priority in your life. Uh, the net will hold. You know, in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about the children of Israel robbing God of their tithes and, and putting them in bags. You, you remember this, Brother Charles. You know what he says? He says, I, I will make it that your bags will have holes in it. You'll put your money in bags with holes in it. Now, what happens if you put money in a bag with a hole in it? It just falls out the other end. You don't get to keep it anyway. For all your effort in earning it, for all your caution in stowing it, you don't get to keep it anyway. It just It just sort of fades away, kind of like fish swimming out of that net. When you're fishing for you, you ain't going to get to keep it. But if you'll fish for him, you'll find out uh, he don't even need it. He's already got fish on the fire. And you'll wind up getting to keep it. wonder what ever happened to those 153 fishes. I, I, I don't really know. I ain't got a good Bible answer, to be honest. I mean, I can speculate. Uh, I like to think that's probably one of the first love offerings they had in the early New Testament church. They probably took him fish, sold them. 
I don't know, bought a church bus with it. I don't know what they did back then. But I, I, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying the Lord could have just left them there, but He told Peter to bring them, and not because He needed them, but because Peter needed to give them. I would say it this way. We need to go back to the place of forfeit. Forfeit. In other words, taking that which is so precious to us. You know, Peter goes out that night and he goes to catch fish. And fishing of this type is not recreational in nature. <coughs> it's not getting out in a pretty trout stream with a, with a fly rod and enjoying being out there in nature. That's not what it is. It's hard work. You don't do that kind of fishing if you're not trying to catch fish because you need fish. They went out and went fishing probably because they needed those fish. They went out and went fishing because they wanted those fish to sell and to profit from. And now, here's what the Lord says. He says, I want you to take those fish. I want, them to, I want you to give them to me. Not because I need fish. I already have fish on the fire. By the way, you know the fish they ate wasn't the fish they caught. The fish they ate was fish that the Lord had provided. You know, there's a principle there of faith. And I'm not going to get too deep in it. But we call it faith promise giving. You know what it is? It's saying, I'm going to pledge to the Lord that I'm going to give unto Him. And I'm going to allow, I'm going to give that thing by faith. Not because I have it in my budget, but because God has asked it of me. And then I'm going to by faith watch God provide for me in other ways. There's a principle there of saying, I'm going to give God my fish. And I'm going to feast off of His fish. And it ain't because He needs the fish, but it's because I need to give the fish. It's a principle of faith. It ain't about finance, it's about faith. What I find is this, here's what God expected of him. He expected him to take that which at least on that evening was most precious to him and to drag it up on shore. You know, I was going to talk about faith because you know that wasn't no small thing. It was not physically easy for Peter to do that. The Bible does not say there was a great many fishes. There was, the Bible says there was many great fishes. Now, I, the, the, depending on which fisherman you're talking to depends on what a great fish is. It does. I was the other day, I, I, I was up hunting and we, we shot a hog and, um, I, we took a picture by it and we, we sent that picture, uh, to somebody and they said, man, that hog, I mean, it is, it's bigger than the piano. It's huge, massive, biggest hog you've ever seen. And then I sent them a second picture and you could see clearly in it that it was maybe about that big. That first picture, what we did, you've seen them do this, right? Like if the pig's that speaker, they kneel way back and put your hand up like it's on top of it. You know what I'm talking about? And that pig looks like it's big as a house. It depends on, and I've seen fishermen take pictures like that. You can see it. They're holding that big old massive fish, and then you look and see, and their fingernails are the size of Frisbees. And you go, okay, a bunch of liars. That's what they are. <coughs> but I would say this to a commercial fisherman, to a commercial fisherman, at that time, fishing in the Sea of Galilee, it would not be unreasonable to think that these fishes probably were in the three, four, maybe five pound piece range. These are not merely small sport fish. These are table fish. There's 153 of them. So we're talking four to six to maybe 700 pounds worth of fish. It wasn't easy physically for Peter to do what he did when he dragged those fish up on the seashore. But he had, it was difficult but sometimes giving things to God that are precious to us is difficult. Sometimes the thing that hinders us from getting right with God is we've done, we've done raised up a golden calf in our life. We've got something in our life that's become more important to us than Jesus. We allow that thing to be the thing that we get hung up on. And sometimes we'll say, well now preacher, you don't understand how hard it would be for me to get rid of that thing. 
Probably not as hard as hauling 700 pounds of fish up out of the sea. But you know why Peter did it? Because he wanted to get right. When you want to get right, my soul, when you want to get right, you won't let anything stop you from getting right. You heard the phrase, where there's a will, there's a way. If you want to get right, you will get right. And Peter wanted to get right. I'm not saying he's a perfect man. I'm not saying you're never going to mess up again. I'm not saying you're not going to wind up in the ditch again. We all do. But I'm saying, if you really want to get right, you will get right. Sometimes it takes a little forfeit. Sometimes we have to take, and we'll say, well, Lord, you don't even need these fish. No, but the problem is you don't need them. It's not that the Lord does need them. It's that you don't need them. Sometimes there's things in our life that we have to give to God. And it ain't that God needs those things. It's it's for our benefit that He's asking of those things from us. So we have to go back to the place of forfeit. I have to hurry. We've got 37 more of these. Look what it says. No, I'm joking. We don't have that many. Um, look down at verse number 12. The Bible says this, Jesus saith unto them, Come and die. And none of the disciples durst ask Him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed Himself to His disciples after that He was risen from the dead. I'd say it this way. you got to go back to the place of fellowship. Uh, food in the New Testament is deeply associated with fellowship. The early New Testament church, much of the time they met, they met around a dinner table. And oftentimes, Paul, no doubt, much of his preaching was done sitting around a dinner table expounding the truths of the Old Testament and the New Testament believers and showing them the mysteries of Jesus Christ. <coughs> For the disciples, the place, the dinner table was a place of fellowship. And you know, if you're going to get right, you have to get back in fellowship with Him. Now somebody's going to say, Preacher, I wouldn't even know what to say to Him. Do you know what I find interesting? They didn't say anything to Him. We don't have any conversation recorded in the middle of the, of the meal. The Bible says in verse 15, When they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon, Peter, Simon, so after the meal is over, but while they was eating, everybody just sat there in quietude. You know why that is? The Lord could speak to them even without them speaking. They just needed to spend time in His presence. I want to be careful with what I say here because listen, I, our God expects intelligent worship. And I don't mean, I don't mean highly knowledgeable worship, but I mean worshiping God is not some kind of a, a, a guttural animal thing. It's something that's done with our heart and mind in conversation and in communication with God. And I don't want to be misinterpreted about that. I, this whole contemplated prayer stuff is straight out of hell. Amen? There ain't nothing about God in it. It's just, it's Eastern mysticism, robed up, and slapped with the name of Jesus. It's, it's, it's not the same thing as Bible prayer, this idea of losing yourself in the emptiness. If you listen to what a lot of these New Age Christian quote-unquote church gurus talk about the contemplative prayer and things like that. If you read what they say, you could slap Taoism on it. You could slap Hinduism on it. You could slap Buddhism on it. You wouldn't have to change nothing else about the book. Prayer is not getting in touch with God in the emptiness of your mind or whatever else. That was true. I know some folks that ought to be real in touch with God. Somebody say amen. No, prayer is an intelligent interaction with God. But I will say this. There is benefit just to being in His presence. Even when we don't really know what to say, just being in His presence. Even when we don't even really know the way forward, just being in His presence. You know, I'd say this, most people don't want to read their Bible unless when they open it, fireworks fly off of the pages. 
And that's why when they open it, fireworks never fly off the pages. There's much time spent just sitting. You know, most bread is common bread. Most bread is common bread. There is cake with icing. Hey, there are those danishes. I remember when I was working, they used to make this thing and it was, it was a, uh, it was like a bear claw type thing. I'm getting ready to feel something on this. And it was, it was, it was injected with butter. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't, I don't know what it was called. Something, it was something in a heavenly tongue. And man, I love that thing. But you know, most of the bread that sustains a man is common bread. It's just that, it's just that old white bread. Some of y'all, your wives done kicked you off of white bread even. You're on the wheat bread like I am, amen? That's even worse. Tastes like dirt. I'm just telling you the truth, ladies. I'm telling you what your husband will not. Wheat bread is nasty. If you want a happy marriage, don't make your husband eat it, amen? Most bread is common bread. Most bread is not, is not delicate bread. Most bread is common bread. Can I tell you something? Most of this book, most bread is common bread. But it's that common bread that sustains you. You know, in your life and in mine, we have to be willing to spend time with the Lord even when it seems like ain't nobody saying anything. You read your Bible and you say, Preacher, I didn't, I didn't have no great revelation. No, but ain't no telling what God did in your heart to lay up in store against a future day. <coughs> there ain't no telling what God taught you that you're going to need in two days. And even beyond all that, I just, I, and please don't take this as being ugly, what I'm about to say, but you ain't got nothing better to do. There is nothing in this world. If the President of the United States was waiting on line one for you, it still wouldn't be better. If the former President of the United States was sitting on line one waiting for you. It still wouldn't be better than sitting in even them dry spells in His Word. I'm just saying this, as long as you're getting picky on God and saying, Lord, I don't want to read Your Word unless You show me some great, grand, amazing thing I've never seen before. You probably ain't going to read your Bible much. And you probably ain't going to be in fellowship with Him much. As long as the prayer closet has to come with fireworks, you probably ain't going to spend much time in it. But it's worth it just to spend time in His presence. Much of the fellowship we enjoy with Him is not greatly dynamic in nature, but it is plain bread that sustains us. I, I, we need to get back to the place of fellowship. Look at verse 15. The Bible says this, <coughs> So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? I don't know what these are. You don't either. Nobody really does. Could have been talking about the disciples. And that would have made sense because you remember... Uh, just a few days earlier, he had said, though all, though all shall be offended, yet will not I. And he had said, hey, listen, these other, these other folks, they may, they may turn their back on the Lord. I never will. So it might be the Lord sort of holding his feet to the fire saying, do you still love me more than these do, Simon? Maybe that's what he's saying. Or he could have been talking about the fish. And if, if we, if we take it to understand that Simon Peter went fishing because he was giving up on the Lord, it could be the Lord was saying, you love me more than you love that old life? I don't know. But I'd say this, if we had to know, the Holy Ghost would have told us. So here's the question. You say, preacher, what are the these? Does it matter what these are? Preacher, what are the these? I don't know. What do you love more than Him? That's what these are. That's what these are. 
Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. You know, it's on that third one when Peter was grieved that the Lord finally moves on to another topic of conversation. Here's what I think that Peter was missing. He kept saying, Lord, you know. But that wasn't what Peter needed to be convinced of. Peter needed to know himself that he loved the Lord. I think, and you can disagree with me about this, you're welcome to, you have to take a number though. I believe that the reason the Lord says it to him three times is because Peter was like you and I, and sometimes we're a little dense, and sometimes we don't get it. And sometimes God will ask us something and we'll answer before we've really thought about it. You ever asked your child a question and they gave you an answer too quickly? Too quickly. They didn't, you could tell they didn't think about it. Peter answers real quick. And the Lord keeps asking him and keeps asking him and keeps asking him. Here's what I think he's wanting. I think he's wanting Peter to stop and examine himself and ask himself deeply that question. It's only when Peter's grieved. That implies that he had took to heart and went through at least a flash of self-examination before he answered that question. And then the Lord moves on. I could say it this way. He wants Peter to answer that question honestly. Honestly. I preached whole messages just on these three verses talking about how love is calculable and and we, we can tell, we can measure how much we love the Lord by our actions. But can I just make this simple observation? I, I think he needed Peter to be forthright if he was going to get right. We have to go to a place of forthrightness if we're going to get right with God. And you'll never get right until you get forthright with God. So what do you mean, preacher? You'll never get right until you get honest with Him. As long as you're still playing games as long as you're still answering Him with what you think is the right answer, instead of stopping and answering Him with the true answer. Because that's what Peter's doing here. You know what Peter's doing? He's answering the obvious answer. Lovest thou me more than these? Yeah, Lord, of course I do. He's just given the answer that he knows is expected. He's still, he's still, in, he's still shifted into neutral. He's still not honestly assessing himself before God. You know, it's possible to put our spirituality on cruise control and just, you, you know, you ever get a, you ever text somebody and you get a text back and it don't make no sense? Like I'll text someone and I'll, I'll say something like, hey, listen, I, I've been praying for you. I hope you're doing all right. I just want you to know I love you. And they'll text me back and they'll say, uh, no, maybe tomorrow. And I know what has happened. They were driving or they were not paying attention. And they hit one of those auto-responses on their text message and they fat-fingered that thing and sent me the wrong one back to me. And it tells me that they gave me an answer, but they didn't really stop and take the time. You know, it's possible to, to just give auto-answers to God in our walk with Him. Say, so what do you mean, preacher? Well, just kind of say what we know we ought to say because we've learned how to go through the motions. We've learned that form there's nothing inside the form. It's a form of godliness. But there's nothing inside the form. Nothing genuine. There's nothing real there. 
and we're just sort of going along in cruise control with the Lord. We gotta get honest with God. And I remember hearing a preacher, this is one of the most profound things that I ever heard, and it is one of the simplest things I've ever heard. He said, you might as well be honest with God because He already knows. We are waste, it is the greatest act of futility to put on pretense with God. There is a chance you might fool your spouse. There is a chance you might fool your children. There is a chance you might fool your parents. There is a chance you might fool your pastor or your Sunday school teacher. There is zero possibility that you will ever fool God. So you might as well just be honest. Be honest. That's all God wants anyway. He just wants you to be honest with Him. It's amazing how much, how many times God has to ask us the same question just to get an honest answer. And God's trying to bring us to a place of forthrightness. One more thing and I'm done tonight. Look down at verse 18. So how do we get back right? Well, we've got to go to the right place. We have to go to the place of finding and the place of faith and the place of following and the place of forfeit, the place of fellowship and the place of forthrightness. But I'll tell you where we have to go if we want to get right and if we want to stay right. We've got to go back to the place of focus. Verse 18. The Lord says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Now he's talking about how he's going to die. That's what John tells us. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. In other words, saying that Peter's going to be crucified one day. And that indeed, if history tells us right, is what happened. He's crucified upside down because he declared he wasn't worthy to be crucified like the Lord was. Well, listen to what happened on this night. When he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. <coughs> then Peter, turning about, See if the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Now, I talked a little bit about this this morning, but John annoyed Peter. It's apparent in their interactions that John annoyed Peter. I don't know if Peter thought he was a goody two-shoes. I don't know if he thought Peter was trying to show him up. And sometimes it even kind of looks like that. But for whatever reason, there's something about John that got under Peter's skin. And when he sees John, he's probably thinking, what are you doing here spying on us, John? He turns about and he sees him. He saith to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, what shall this man do? Lord, Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. There's a command in verse number 19 at the end of it. He says, follow me. In verse number 22, it's confirmed and reaffirmed and emphasized. He says, follow thou me. You know, here's Peter. I, 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 read a, I read a quote this past week. I think it was from William Carey. He said, I'll go anywhere the Lord wants as long as it's forward. As long as it's forward. I'm going to say that again. I'll go anywhere for the Lord as long as it's forward. You know what I'm talking about, Corey. I'll go anywhere as long as it's forward. You know, Peter's been going forward. He's getting right. He's getting back where he needs to be. But for the first time in this conversation, he stops and he turns his focus backwards. You know, some of us, we're getting right with God, we're living for God, and we're going in the right direction. And then we stop and we go backwards. Why did he go backwards? Because he was more worried about what somebody else was doing than what he was supposed to be doing. You know the quickest way to get your life in a mess? Get your eyes off of him and get them on somebody else. Sometimes it is their failures that discourage us. Sometimes it is their luxury that makes us envy the ease of their path. But you know, the way the Lord answered is perfect, like it always was. He says, what is that to thee? What business is it of yours, Peter? 
What business is it of yours what anyone else is doing for me? Peter, you have one life to live. One life. And nobody can live it for you. And you can't live anyone else's for them. You need to, if you want your life to be right, you need to get everybody else out of your mind and get focused on living for Him. Some of us, we start to get right, and, and maybe we do get right, but it ain't long before we get wrong again. You know why that is? Because we get our focus off of Him. We could say, and I don't think we'd be doing dishonor to Scripture to say that the reason Peter got in this mess in the first place is he got his eyes off the Lord. And now here he is. I'm talking about the, the ink ain't even wet on the paper of his testimony of being back right with God. He's just got right, headed in the right direction. And we see him craning that neck backwards to look at what somebody else is doing. The Lord seemed to have resolved this. Peter and John, it would appear, grew in their friendship. But in this moment, he risked everything because he was willing to take his eyes off of Jesus and put them on somebody else. You know... And I might even just say it this way, more than getting right, if we want to stay right, if we want to stay right, we better keep our eyes on Him. We mess up when we get our eyes off of Him. How many times you hear people say things like this, well, I used to go to church and then I got my feelings hurt. Not by Jesus you didn't. Preacher, I used to go to church and somebody hurt me. Not Jesus he didn't. Preacher, I used to go to church, and then somebody messed up. Jesus didn't. Now, listen, I understand. You love your church family. You, you get connected with them. They matter to you. They can hurt you. I'm not saying that don't happen. I'm not saying there's no truth and reality to that. All I'm saying is don't walk out on Him because He's not the one that did it. But what happened? We get our focus off of Him and get it on somebody else. I'm not saying somebody didn't hurt you. They probably did. But Jesus didn't. I'm not saying somebody didn't let you down. They probably did. I'm saying Jesus didn't. And I'm saying when you get your eyes off of Him and off on something else, you're going to find plenty of reasons to walk away. But you know, you, you know, if you'll keep your eyes on Him, I, one of the things I love, you know the smartest people in this church is the ones that sit on the front row, other than Brandon. You know why? Because you don't have to live with all the distractions that the people on the back row have to live with. You know, I, I've never heard any of these front row sitters complain about anything with the kids or with noise or with distractions. And it ain't because distractions don't happen. It's because they don't see it. Because they're sitting on the front row. I, here's what I'm getting at. And I'm saying this a little tongue-in-cheek. I hope you know and understand that. But it ain't that there ain't problems. They just don't never see them. Because they ain't looking in that direction. Now there's a spiritual truth there. I'm not fussing. I'm not. We, we ain't even got a back of the church. Our church is faced the wrong way. We got the the back of the back of this church is closer than the front row of the church I grew up in. But, so I, I'm not scolding. I'm, I'm using it as an illustration. I'm saying this. You know, sometimes we get so discouraged because we got all these people sitting in between us and Jesus. We got all these people sitting in between us and Jesus. We're, we're looking at him, but we're looking through the preacher to look through him. We're looking through the Sunday school teacher to see him. We're, we're, we're looking through the, the choir to see him. We're looking through our friends to see him. Boy, that's a lot of people that can mess up, but you could blame that on Jesus. But if you just get up close to him where you ain't got anybody in between you and him, and it's just you and him, you know what you'll find out? 
It ain't that there ain't mistakes in this world, but you don't notice them quite as much. Because all you can see is Him. When, when, when Peter turned around, he saw somebody that made him mad, and that was John. And by the way, what he was mad at John over wasn't even real. Wasn't even real. Didn't even have nothing to do with anything. John says that after this, people claimed that John would not die until Jesus came, but John corrects that and says, the Lord never said that. All the Lord said was that if I should live till He comes, what is that to Peter? You know, sometimes things that we get tore up about ain't even real, they ain't even there. I'm not saying that's always true, but I'm saying this. How do we fix that? Get our eyes on Him. Get our eyes on Him. Keep our eyes on Him. You look to people, you will be disappointed. You will be disappointed. But if you'll get all those people out from between you and Him and see Him and Him only, like the Greek said in John chapter number 12 when they came to Philip, we would see Jesus. If you just see Him and Him alone, you know you'll find He's altogether lovely. You know you'll find that He's perfect in every way. You know you'll find that He never disappoints. You want to stay right? you got to get back to that place of focus and get your focus back on Him. Well, I'm glad there's a way back tonight. I, I don't know anybody's heart. Man, there may be somebody here that's far out. They're getting ready to swing out and fall out over into a pit. The chances are on a Sunday night, if you're away from them, you're probably not far away from them. You know, uh, every journey begins with the first step. And that's true of the prodigal as well. A trip into the far country began with one step. You may be just two, three steps down the driveway on your way away from Him. Can I tell you this? There's a way back. You don't have to go all the way to the far country. You don't have to go all the way to, 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 the, to the depths of disobedience before you come back to Him. Go ahead and turn around. Come on back to Him even tonight. Even if you just wandered a step or two. Even if there's just some what we would call a minor area of disobedience in our life. Don't let that thing grow. Come on back to Him. You may have loved ones. You probably do. I do. I've got loved ones that are way out. I'm talking about way out. I'm talking about out like Peter was out and maybe worse. I'm glad to know there's a way back tonight. Don't quit praying for Him because there's a way back tonight. But wherever at you're at in your spiritual relationship with the Lord, you ought to strive to be closer to Him. You ought to strive to be in, in more fellowship with Him. It'd do us all good just to draw near to Him tonight and to seek His presence and to seek His help. Let's bow together. But Tim, come play for us tonight. The altar's open. You don't have to wait. You can come on tonight. Go ahead and jump out of the boat and swim to it. You don't have to wait for anybody to play or anybody to say anything or me to pray or anybody else to go. Just go ahead and jump out of the boat and come to Him tonight. If God spoke to your heart, meet Him in this altar and just, just bear your heart before Him tonight. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify Your Son. We ask it in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed.